Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Because we got the alternative energy. free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was recorded and produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people for 3CR Melbourne. Today we hear an interview that originally went to air on 3CR's Doing Time show. Marissa interviews Auntie Helen, Aboriginal academic and elder, about her personal story around land, nuclear testing and her extensive work around international law and transitional justice in the context of colonisation and genocide. Let's listen to the interview now. In 2019, Curtin University awarded Helen an honorary doctorate for her foundational role in the campaign to end black deaths in custody and in the international human rights movement for Indigenous peoples. Helen grew up in Caliban, and forgive me, Helen, if I pronounce this wrong, where her activism was ignored by the fallout from nuclear bomb testing that poisoned her community. She moved to Sydney where she campaigned, returned and completed an honours dissertation on the changing role of Aboriginal women since colonisation. And in 1984, Helen became Director of Studies at Tranby Aboriginal Cooperative College where she enabled students to see themselves within an international community. And she found sponsorship and took students to meet Indigenous peoples as far away as Canada. And through this and other roles, Helen has mentored a generation of high achievers who continue to make their mark around the world today. And she played an important role also in instigating the Royal, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody in 1987. And the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody is extremely important, um, even though it is important to have um, abolition eventually, um, we need to actually, we need this, this document to hold police to account. And the following year, Helen became Executive Officer of the Aboriginal Legal Service of Western Australia. Hello, Helen, welcome to the program. Hello, hello to all the listeners, and thank you for having me on the program. It's so lovely to have you. And I, I'm wondering, Auntie, if if you could just um, talk about what land you're from, first of all. From my mother's side, we're part of the Yaru people. And my father's side is down Busselton Way, Yungar people, the Wanzaldi people. And so we're one of the seven main landowning groups in the southwest and part of the single Yungar nation claim. But my... I was born and raised as a youngster in Carnarvon, but we got washed out of the down one of the big cyclones in the early 1960s. And then we came down to Perth where we did our 
form of secondary education. And later, after I got married, my husband wanted to go to Sydney to live. So I did my undergraduate and postgraduate work at New South Wales Uni in Sydney. That's that's great. And and Helen, how did you tell me tell me some of the tell us some of the work that you've done in in ter- so there there really is a great need still, isn't there? to build the movement to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. Can you talk about some of that? It's a big topic. But... My, my main issues in the beginning was looking at nuclear disarmament. Because as you're saying in my introduction, we were nuclear sprayed with the atomic bombs that went off in Montebello. And similar to the nuclear bomb testing at Maralinga, the officials had advice not to push the button because the weather conditions had changed. But regardless, they went ahead. And areas that were in the original plan not affected became affected. And just through local knowledge of my own family and the community, there was too many of us who were born in the same year when the nuclear bomb testing was done that now today we have cancer-related diseases and people have been dying all too frequently. And that's for both First Nations community and just the general Carnarvon population. But as some people might know with Carnarvon, there's also up to 100 or more plantations that are there. And Carnarvon is considered as a food bowl area for the southern area of the state. And when there's cyclone floods and damages to crops on the east coast like Coffs Harbour. Our food is then transported over to that side of the country and then when we're in the floods, food from over there gets transported to the west coast. So Carnarvon plays a crucial role in the deep south west of WA and the east coast of Australia. But there's a a lot of chemicals and things that are used in those plantations that eventually get poured into the Gascoigne River. One of my future projects I'm interested in is to study the the health of the Gascoigne River from its beginning right down to Gordontown, or what we call Carnarvon, Gordonyardu, because along the way you've got a lot of mining tailings that pass into that river system, come down through Carnarvon, and then 
the river delta that opens up into the Indian Ocean and spreads out over into the southern Indian Ocean. Yeah. And I was in Kadawan one a few years back for a family funeral and for the first time I saw a I was at the market and I found some community members standing up there and protesting about the fluoride that was in the water. They wanted the Shy Council to stop using it and they had graphic images of the dental health of townspeople and which were quite horrific to look at but it really made the point that something was deeply wrong with the river system. You know, I think, well, if that's happening to those fellows, it must be happening within my own community as well. So I signed a petition supporting what the group wanted, but I only go home when there's a funeral but Auntie Helen, you you're involved with the you you were actually at the nuclear testing when it happened. I was born in those years. Yeah, those overlapping years. And would you say that that actually sparked your your work? That that it actually um, got you to to have a passion because that's really genocide, isn't it, of Aboriginal people? Yeah, I shared a flat with a well-known Aboriginal activist in Perth and that late Gloria Brennan, rest of the peace, and she's, her family came from Desert Way. She was a long-dyed woman and she died some years ago now, but yes. she always insisted that her death was related to being nuclear sprayed yep. for Maralinga. And it's still going on. It's still going on now, isn't it, Auntie? All the dumping of nuclear waste and testing. Yeah, I read the the very thick report on Maralinga and what took place, and I was watching a Four Corners program not so long. So even though they say they've cleaned up, there hasn't been really a, a major consideration of cleaning up and looking at the after-effects of the bomb testings. Yeah. And I have no proof, but I've just heard it through networks that the tailings from the that nuclear area in Maralinga are spread along some of the tracks leading from the Perth Casino into the city. Yeah, there's quite a few high-rise buildings along that track. And so I don't know if people are sitting in the trains, you know, every day to and from work, realising that they're actually travelling on nuclear tailings. Yeah. There's there's a lot there, and 
I'm not sure if, if you're aware, but there's a Friends of the Earth here in um, in Melbourne, and there's an anti-nuclear um, campaign going on, and it's all over Australia. So that there's still a lot of work happening with that. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're hearing an interview produced by Marissa from 3CR with Aboriginal academic and elder Auntie Helen about her personal experience of being born during the nuclear bomb tests on Montebello Island that badly affected her community and her people and how that experience led her to decades of work to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. So, Auntie Helen... Could you talk a little bit about your international work and and how apparently you were involved, and and I want to see if this is true, and I'm sure it is true, um, in in helping to look at the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody to create that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, um, while I was just talking about the nuclear... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the the two are interlinked of how... Interlinked, absolutely. As I was working in the local area, then the state level and the national level and the international level. Yes. But um, when I was at doing my undergraduate work in New South Wales, I would come home for the semester breaks and I would do volunteer work at the Aboriginal Legal Service. Yes. And I was a, a trained stenographer. And what happened was our legal staff would go out to country areas and come back with paperwork. And on one occasion, we had to revise 200 cases, the paperwork for them, because the judge wouldn't accept the type of paper that we were Mm. typing on. And so the paper was too thin and didn't fit the court specifications to receiving documents. And so the lawyers were all operating with tape recorders and they would come back from the bush, dust off the dust, pile up all the tape recorders and distribute between the typing pool. And so for a full week, we would get the voices of our mob telling their stories to make appeals for the judgments that they received from the JPs in the various towns that much later when I was involved with ALS, I became involved in trying to dissolve the JP system because the JP system was just um, prominent business people in local towns who were more concerned about law and order issues and economics in the town And they were always giving our mob the stiffer end of the sentences. Yeah. And, you know, like, I can remember a young boy received a stolen packet of 
Twisties or something, and he got a six months jail for it. So we would have to retype all these cases, but it made a big mental impression in me because I was hearing the stories for the first time of people that were living in different living situations to what I was raised in. I mean, Carnarvon is described as a rural, remote town. Yeah. But because the ALS is a state organisation, I was getting stories firsthand from people, young eyes, Yamajis, one guys, and it was really opening my eyes up and politicising me, and I became really full of knowledge about the state. You know, and what was going on. So it is interlinked, then, how, Auntie? But you know, yeah. the, the nuclear testing, isn't it? With, with yeah. the death and then I was lucky that I had a couple of young lawyers who were fresh out of university and wanted to do things. And one in particular would take me with him into the court system when he would have to represent somebody or he'd take me into the prison to meet with the clients and so I got to see the full range of activities and duties that the ALS was involved in and I really loved that while we were deemed as just secretaries where we would try to be in a corner and locked away and nobody saw us these young, new, fresh lawyers took me around to see and said, oh, you know, you lot are just as important as yeah. up turning, turning up to courts and yeah. seeing inmates. And so I got a lot of more education just going with trips that Absolutely. way. So that helped me and saying that when there's a complaint, you know where to direct the complaint to. Yeah. You know, what court system, how you can frame frame your, your words to fit particular legislation and the mandates of the court. So it was an excellent teaching method for me. And you did do quite a bit of lecturing, didn't you, over the years? Yeah, I taught about in just about almost every university in Australia, probably with the exception of Tasmania and maybe Adelaide. Good on you. In those early days. And you were involved um, also um, to do with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, isn't it? Yeah, now, when I was in Sydney, the Hiroshima Day rally became very famous. Yep. And you'd get, you know, 500,000 people going to these gatherings. And I would arrange to have an, an Aboriginal delegation to go to these conferences. 
upside street marches and then get our mob to give speeches at the end of the rallies. And so through that work, I learned how to work in with other like-minded organisations to strengthen the individual messages of the different groups. And also in Sydney, we had what they called the Liberation Committee, which was made up of 20-plus organisations where we all met on a regular basis. We learned from each other what was the individual and the common threats to our campaign, and we all supported each other's, you know, in the fundraising and spreading the message. So there was no competition going on. No, of course not. Between no, these, no, no. these groups. Everybody was there to, to talk about the protection of human rights. And there was nothing like whether it's black rights or white rights, it was everybody's rights. Arnie Helen, that's that's the best thing I've heard all year, to be honest. That's the best thing I've heard all year. And I think that listeners do need to, to be aware, and Auntie, I, I need to tell listeners this, that she can, her auntie continued to lobby the Australian government to join the declaration, which it did in 2009. Thank you so much for talking about the nuclear testing because that is a very, very important topic. Okay, thanks. Now, because I was involved in the nuclear business, they had their first international nuclear conference in Melbourne. And I went like run along to that, and I was invited to speak. So I took up that opportunity, gave a speech. There was a woman sitting in the audience listening to me, and she had a letter from a friend in England and said, can you give me the name of an Indigenous woman to come to the fourth END conference, which was the European Nuclear Disarmament Conference. And so... After I spoke, I got this letter. This woman came to Tramby where I was working and said, we want to offer you to come to England. Where will you be at this time of the year? I said, well, it's semester break for the college. You know, they said, well, they said, can you get to Europe? I said, yeah, I've got money to go to Europe. Well, when you go to Europe and you go up to Coventry where they're having this conference, international conference, can you come back to London and we'll pay for you to make a side trip to go to Switzerland to talk to the UN? And I said, okay, so since 1967, I've been making this side trip to Geneva to annually report on Indigenous deaths in custody. And that was the first time that the world heard about our mob dying in custody. And we would take tons and tons of 
literature down there, and every time there was a UN meeting, there'd be several workshops at the same time, I would go to the second-hand shop, put all these little leaflets we had in those suitcases, drag them across oceans and seas and, you know, on planes while I was carrying my baby with me and drop them off to every single UN working group meeting. And so there's literally thousands of pamphlets handed out everywhere. And people from the other groups would come and seek me out and have conversations. And so the word just spread and as I saying, each year we kept going back and giving more reports. Then all the European fundraisers, they would be paying for my fare to go over and I would give them annual reports. So they kept funding us over because they knew what work we were doing and they supported it. So finances wasn't as hard as what people thought. It was just linking in with those international groups where you'd have more opportunities than you would asking government agencies in Australia here, you know, to fund you to get you there. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because now listeners really understand about the international focus of the work that you were doing and the very important contribution that's been made. Well, to all the listeners, take care of yourselves, be safe. Absolutely, very important. Yeah, take care of yourselves and your community and your family, because family is very important. Uh, and even a reminder for the boys inside, I have quite a few number of nephews and that who call me up on a regular basis and give me, tell me what's going on and if there's somebody at risk and they say, can you help? We need something. And so I find a connection for the responsible groups that are working on the issue that the young fellows needed in the prison. Overnight we get things done and the people are taken out of isolation and work in the work and move around in the general prison population and they're no longer young people at risk. So yeah. it's important too for groups to work with our boys and young women inside to get them to take care of each other and call out for help because help is there. That's and exactly right. We have to organise ourselves to you know, don't keep it a practice of out of sight, out of mind. We have to stay focused on our young fellows inside. Definitely. All right, Helen, Auntie Helen, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Take care. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks so much to Auntie Helen for sharing her story of surviving nuclear bomb tests and her work fighting to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. The interview was recorded by Marissa for 3CR's Doing Time show.
We thank them for letting us share the wonderful interview with Arnie Helen on this episode of The Radioactive Show. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at www.3cr.org.au slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. This radioactive show was produced on Bunurung and Wurundjeri land with the support of Friends of the Earth's Ace Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377.